Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to Culture Calculus. This week, I am extremely excited to welcome back Jason Jones, our resident Sacramento Kings beat writer. We've also got Lindsey Jones, one of our national NFL writers on the pod today, and a very special guest, Wade Davis, former NFL player who was actually the NFL's first inclusion consultant after coming out nearly a decade after retiring from the league. And we're here to talk about some pretty exciting news in the NFL. So first of all, welcome everybody. Welcome, Wade. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you all for having me. And we got a Raiders fan from what I'm understanding, too. So, you know, it'll, it'll be some interesting trash talking happening. We do. I feel like, Jason, we never we never really get into the Raiders fandom, but you are an old school, like you are born and raised South Central. So you are a proper L.A. Raiders fan. Yeah, I was uh, my favorite all time player is Howie Long. So, yeah, when I was in high school, I couldn't get 75. So I wore 57. Nice. Um, well, we are here today because, you know, uh, on Tuesday we had some pretty exciting and, in my opinion, really monumental news. Um, Carl Nassib, defensive lineman for uh, for the for the geez, I'm, I'm always going to say Oakland Raiders, aren't I? <laughs> Carl Nassib, defensive lineman for the Las Vegas Raiders, came out as gay in an Instagram post on Tuesday um, that that really seemed to reverberate, you know, even far beyond the sports world. So, you know, I guess Wade, can we start with you? What was what was your reaction as a former NFL player who came out, um, you know, like I said, nearly a decade after you retired, what was your reaction when you saw Carl's video? My, I would, my first reaction was I smiled and I smiled for a couple of reasons. One, the casualness, you know, of what Carl did it, which I think speaks to um, a greater level of acceptance of not just of, um, you know, heterosexual people of LGBTQ folks, but of LGBTQ folks of heterosexual people, right? Um, Because so I'm a person that uses the language that was coined by a friend of mine named Darnell Moore. And he says in LGBTQ folks, we invite people in, we don't come out. And what you witnessed was an invitation, right? By Carl to say, hey, this is who I am. You know, like if you're going to show up correctly, I'm going to invite you in to learn a, a little bit more about me, but it was also, you know, like you, you also saw Carl's message say, Hey, um, 
if you reach out to me for interviews and I don't get back to you, don't take offense. What that, what that also says is Carl wants people to see him as an NFL player who is also gay and not as a gay NFL player. And mm-hmm. that distinction is really important. The last thing I'll say is I thought about Michael Sam, who's a yeah. friend of mine, who I would also say um, we all stand on his shoulders. And Michael is a revolutionary in every sense of the word. And I thought about like what Michael lost, it created the conditions for Carl to be able to stand in, in his truth now. So all of us have a, have a huge debt to pay to Michael Sam. Yeah, and and you know one of one of the things that I think we've seen on social media and in, in commentary since Carl made his announcement was a lot of people bringing up Michael Sam, um, who was the first uh, the first player to declare before the draft. Um, he was drafted onto a practice squad, never actually saw an NFL time. But you know there there obviously have been pioneers to come before um, who either you know they're like Michael who never got to play a, a, an NFL down, or we'll just never know the name of the people who who kind of suffered in silence and were never able to play while living their truth. Um, Lindsay, having covering this league for as long as you have, did you think that we would get an active player coming out? I, I don't want to say this soon because frankly, I think it's later than we all hoped it would have been. Yeah. But do, do you, did, were you surprised by the timing of this? Yeah, I mean, a little bit just in that it was kind of just like a Monday afternoon, you know, that kind of like Wade said, it was really kind of cool that it wasn't just this like drawn out announcement. It wasn't very calculated. It wasn't, you know, a lot of a major media event. It was Carl posting on his Instagram, um, kind of understanding this is Pride Month. I've made this donation to the Trevor Project. I'm just ready to do this. And it wasn't something that had to be, you know, kind of set up through multiple media organizations and this like really you know, thing where there was, it, it wasn't a ma- major production, which I thought was really cool for him to kind of just have his moment and say, this is what, what I'm saying. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on and keep playing football and move on with, you know, the rest of my life, just living out now instead of, you know, leave, keeping a secret. But when we talk about, you know, I guess the timing and when would this happen, you know, I, I want to make clear that anytime you're re- reading stories about this or watching news stories or anything might be, Carl Nassib, is not the first gay NFL player. And you will probably say headlines like that. You will see it referenced like that on Twitter. That is absolutely not the case. And Wade can surely speak to this, right? Carl is the first active out NFL player who is expected to be on a 53-man roster and playing in games. There are, we, we know, it would be naive to think that he is the only gay NFL player right now in the league. Um, So we were just kind of waiting for this moment where somebody was comfortable enough, was courageous enough to just kind of come out and say, this is who I am. This is how I'm living. This is, this is me. And to do that kind of in, in this format. So, you know, I think I was hopeful that it would happen. You know, I think you, you kind of all, if you cover the league long enough, you, you know, you hear things, you know, of things, but you know, you just kind of, you never want, out anybody. You always want people to just be able to kind of live their lives on their terms and do it when they're ready. And it was just really wonderful to see, you know, Carl kind of come out and do it the way that he did. And um, hopefully, you know, he, he will, you know, like, like Michael Sam being revolutionary in the NFL. Hopefully Carl will be now and other, other gay NFL players, you know, who might not have wanted to be the first because being the first is incredibly difficult. Um, but now no one else will have to be the first. And uh, hopefully, 
you know, we'll be to the point where we won't have to do emergency podcasts and breaking news headlines and stuff. It'll just become part of our normal lives and our sports experience. Well, and, and Carl Nassib said that he basically said, you know, I, I hope that we get to a point where players or, or just people don't need feel the need to put out an Instagram post to come out or or like make this kind of huge announcement. Um, but obviously, we we're not we're not at that point yet. Um, he also made it a point to say that he's gotten, and I think we've seen this especially on social media, monumental support from around the league, from the league office itself, which I think is kind of surprising if anyone particularly maybe Wade has known how this league has worked with some of these issues. Um, but, but from the Raiders in particular and from his teammates and, you know, Jason, as a, as a Raiders fan, but also as somebody who covers locker rooms, who has covered teams, you know, on, on, you know, on the ground level, are you surprised that he's being supported to this level institutionally and by his teammates? I mean, in, yeah, I am just because I've covered I covered the Raiders for a few years. I've covered the NFL. I've covered the NBA. And I remember when um, Jason Collins came out and being in the locker room, talking to players and just some of the crazy things you heard. I remember one player saying, well, I couldn't take a shower now. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was actually another team employee who said, what you're telling me is that you think that he can, can that you know, that somehow him being gay makes him some type of like just person can't control himself. He says, isn't your sister, your, is he, he asked me, isn't your brother married? He goes, yeah. Is your sister-in-law attractive? He goes, yeah. So you can't control yourself around her? And he's like, what do you mean? He says, that's what you're implying. And this was, and that wasn't that long ago. So, you know, just to see that, to, to me, the coolest part about it was, it was a big deal, but it wasn't, if that makes any sense. You know, it was like, wow, okay. But it wasn't like, you know, me, me being a Raider fan, it wasn't like my people were blowing up my phone going, hey, hey, look, you got a gay player on the team. It's like, okay. It wasn't, you know, it was a big deal, but it wasn't. So to me, that was a sign of progress because I know Wade can speak to it. You know, being in the locker room in the early 2000s, if you would have told me back when I was covering the Raiders in 2005, 2006, they would have, you know, the, you know, even though I know there were, you know, gay players in the league then, you know, players who you found out at, later on, and like you said, you don't want to out people, but there was always the whispers of, hey, that guy is, that guy is, and there was almost like a little list amongst players of like the guys who they thought were, so to speak. But to be in, in a situation now where players are publicly saying, you know, Carl, we support you, you know, we've got your back. To me, is a tremendous step from where it was. I say even five, six years ago. Wade, are you are you surprised by how quickly it seems the league, again, institutionally, seems to have moved on this? I mean, you came out in 2012, um, and we were absolutely – I mean, when Michael Sam came out, all of the, you know, all of the narratives were about – not just about how teammates are going to handle this, but how he's going to handle this. He's going to be a distraction in the locker room because of all of this, right? Um, are you surprised? And, and, you know, what is the work that you've seen being done to get the league, which is a more conservative league – to this point where a player does feel comfortable coming out? You know, I think to, to Lindsay's point, the work was done by LGBTQ folks to be much more visible, mm. right? In, in, you know, in the ownership of our own story and our own narrative, because what I believe is true is that it is, you're hard pressed to meet anyone who doesn't know someone who's LGBT. I mean, like, like that person would actually have to be living in a bubble to actually say that they don't know someone in their life, right? So I think that there was a natural maturation of our society moving to a space where 
people just started to have more engagements and the proximity, right, to someone who identifies as LGBT really was kind of the forcing function, right? So I actually think that, that that's part of it. Also, many folks don't, don't know that Roger, um, the, the commissioner, his brother's gay. Right. So when I was consulting at the league, one of the things that Roger was really open about was me doing trainings for many teams. You know, I spoke at the owners meeting, which is a space where you don't get a lot of access access to. I spoke for probably 10 to 15 different teams. So there were there were conversations happening. And I think to uh, to Jason's point, the other piece is that players were actively talking to each other, right? One of the best things that I ever did was create the opportunity for players who had someone in their life who identified as LGBT, give them the microphone so that they could actually have an engagement with, with, their, with their teammate because their teammate is considered their brother, right? And it's very different when someone who you look at every day, someone who, who you admire says, hey, someone in my family identifies as LGBTQ and I love them. And if you want to be my teammate, my brother, I need you to grow the hell up. And I think that we saw that. The last thing that I'll say is, you know, the, the NFL and many of the sports leagues have all been in, engaging in lots of conversations in the social justice space. And it is impossible to have a conversation about race mm-hmm. without having it about gender and sexual orientation and gender identity. So all of these conversations have expanded, um, I would say, folks' lexicons, folks' understanding, folks' access to information about all of these things. So Carl's, his inviting of the world in, in me, is a natural progression, right, to just these conversations just being, being had more, more often and the access to information. I think that, I mean, that intersectional point that you just, that you just alluded, that you just talked about is so important because, right, in the, in the last year, every league has had to confront a racial reckoning, right, have, has had to talk about social justice, particularly when it comes to how we've dealt with black players um, and, and black folks around the country. And you can't have that conversation without, without acknowledging that black LGBTQ and Black trans people in particular are more at risk for suicide and violent crime and 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 hate crimes like that. Um, and and not being able to separate those conversations anymore is such a big big part of this. And I remember Wade, you and I did a, a a podcast, I think with Jamil Smith several years ago, where I mean, you talked a lot about some of the work that you did with the Obama administration, my brother's keeper, and particularly trying to combat the idea that the Black community in particular is somehow more homophobic than the American populace at large. And I think these into conversation a lot just because of the makeup of NFL locker rooms and because, you know, we talk about Michael Sam. I'm also thinking of Ryan Russell, who came out when he was still, I mean, he still had the intent to be an active player. He happened not to be signed that offseason. Um, uh, probably because he, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if that was because he chose to come out, but, um, you know, when we have that conversation about, you know, more players coming out about these kind of stereotypes about who is or isn't homophobic, you know, you've really done a lot of work to combat those stereotypes. Yeah, you know, and it's really a, a stereotype that forces younger LGBTQ folks of color to also not trust and believe that their families will love it and, and embrace them, right? Um, and, and if you look at any anti-sodomy law that's on the books that was ever on the books, 
white people put those laws mm -hmm. on the books. Black folks have never had the type of voting power to put any of those laws on the book, but you don't hear the narrative that white people are more or equally homophobic as black folk, right? And what that speaks to is who has the microphone, who actually has the bully uh, pulpit. And if one was to juxtapose what Carl said about his family loving and embracing him with Michael Sam, right, one could, could perpetuate that actual narrative. But one could complicate that narrative by saying most of the, you know, the, the players who, who, who played in the NFL, the, the NBA, who are open about their sexuality now are folks of color, right, which, which also speaks to a certain level of resilience, a certain level of knowing that even though on the surface, you know, folks might say these things up about our, our black community on the inside, there is, there is deep love there. The last thing that I'll add is when, when, when my mother initially did not accept me for being gay, it was complicated because she grew up in a time where the black men around her in the South were being killed for being black. So when she had a, had a black boy, her first job was to teach me how to stay alive. And in her mind, by coming out as gay, I reneged on that, right? By, and she thought to herself, well, how do I protect you for being black and gay? So it's a much more complicated when, when a black parent doesn't immediately embrace their child, but every parent and every parent, and I'm not a parent, but I know this for a fact, right? Every parent dreams for their child to have a certain level of safety. So to openly identify as LGBT means that your child is going to be closer to being unsafe than they are to be safe. So, so how do we start to look at this from a much broader perspective and say the lives of black folks are already precarious. So to, to complicate that by identifying as LGBT only makes our lives even more unsafe. And therefore the work is on those who, who are in positions of power to make sure that they have a much more nuanced understanding of our lives. A follow up along those lines about safety. One of the things I heard when I was covering the NFL was that, hey, if there's a gay player, you know, on the field, he might be subject to more risk of injury just because of homophobia and maybe someone would take an extra shot at him because of their own homophobia, just in your interactions with the league and talking to the players. And, you know, did you speak to that, address that? And how was the, if so, how were those discussions? Yeah. So here's, here's the truth, right? Everybody who plays defense is trying to enact harm on some other person. Right now I, I will say that there were some conversations back in those days, right. Where, where players would say that, that I would try to see if I could hurt this player because their perception was that gay players aren't as tough, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't as masculine, aren't, aren't as macho. So what they were really trying to get at without knowing it is like for a gay man to be able to play at their level, their thought was, what does this say about me and my manhood? So I am trying to further harm this player to ensure that people don't see us as equals, which actually spoke to a level of insecurity that most of the players could never even imagine. So when, when, so during these conversations, what I would try to do is complicate the conversation and say, Hey, like, what are you actually afraid of? And the truth is that they actually wanted to separate themselves from what it meant to be gay because they understood that to be gay was to be unsafe in the world. 
And therefore, if someone on the football field who openly identified as gay was perceived as just as good as they were, what did it say about their own manhood and masculinity? And most players, when you just start to ask them some real honest questions, they start to, to realize that how they're thinking about it, one, was just basic as hell, right? But, but two, it said more about their fear and insecurity than it, it did about the possibility of playing with a gay teammate. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Do you think that Carl Nassib will have a little bit of a target on its back, even though we've obviously made progress in this area? I think he'll have multiple targets, right? He'll have a target of society wanting him to speak out more. Mm. He'll have a target of the league trying to figure out, like, how do I honor this person's humanity, but also understand that the NFL has such a big a, a bully pulpit right, that they can use this opportunity to hopefully educate more. And to, to Jason's questions, there will be certain players who are, who feel that that Carl's existence is a reputation of their own, and they will be trying to prove something, right? But what they're going to find, right, is that any self-hatred that you have towards, I mean, any hatred that you have towards a, another person is just hatred towards you, and they will immediately start to play worse because Jason actually, I mean, I'm sorry, Carl, like standing up in, in his truth is going to immediately make him a better player because he gets to put down, you know, the burden of having to perform a certain type of identity that wasn't true to who he is. Right. Lindsay, from your conversations with people in the league, I mean, what was, do you know what the process of how this announcement came about was? Were, were, the, were the league and were the Raiders prepared with social media statements? And also, I guess, looking forward to, to Wade's point, how does, I mean, how does the league continue to kind of honor Carl being this pioneer without making him a mascot? Yeah, well, so to your first point, I don't think anybody knew that this was coming on a Monday afternoon. Um, the Raiders were certainly not prepared. I don't believe that he clued his team in. I don't think that they were surprised. I mean, you you saw in his statement, you heard in his video that he had the support of his team and his teammates, and he wouldn't have been able to come out the way that he did without that support. So I don't know this for sure, but I don't think that all of his teammates were probably surprised by this. I don't know if this is, it, this was a public coming out. I'm not sure if this was, you know, a private coming out as well. I, there may have been people that he had already told and had people that he had trusted and kind of knew who he was. Um, I don't think the league was clued in, um, but, you know, we saw them kind of all mobilize and look, we saw the Raiders make a massive social media misstep um, a couple months ago when owner Mark Davis took over the team's Twitter handle um, after the George Floyd verdict. And um, I kind of held my breath to see like, what's what's going to happen? Because I mean, that was a major, major error when Mark Davis, you know, stepped in it and had 
mud all over his face. But what the Raiders, you know, they did, they, they just shared um, on social media, they shared Carl Nassib's statement and they said, proud of you, Carl, with a heart. And then what you saw around the league was lots of other teams joining. And I live in Denver where, you know, Broncos fans and Raiders fans hate each other, but you saw the Broncos tweeting their support. You saw a lot of other teams saying, we're proud of you, Carl. We stand behind you. And obviously these are, you know, social media staffers that are doing this. This wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't Von Miller personally typing this from Denver. Um, But you did see, you know, some kind of quick reaction. We saw a statement from Roger Goodell almost immediately. I mean, I think it was within an hour of of NASA's coming out video. So, you know, they mobilized pretty quickly. I mean, this wasn't something that they had to be, you know, clued into in advance. I think, you know, they kind of knew what the right things to say were. And to speak to Wade's point, I mean, Roger Goodell is not as much of kind of like a Luddite in this area as I think a lot of people maybe would assume. I think there are a lot of people who still work in football who have some very archaic views. You know, I don't want to say that you know, when we, we saw a lot of positive reaction in the last 24 hours or on social media, there is still a lot of homophobia within football, within professional sports. Um, I think it's less than it used to be, um, but that definitely is still there. But at least from, you know, front offices, from the league office, especially, this was something that was embraced and had really been a long time coming there. You know, the NFL has made a pretty conscious or conscientious effort, excuse me, um, over the last couple of years to bring in more LGBTQ people into, um, into the league office. You know, they, they very recently hired a kind of a senior vice president of communications um, who is a lesbian woman, you know, Sam Rappaport, who leads a lot of the league's um, diversity efforts um, and women in football is, um, is a, is a lesbian woman who is, made a lot of inroads and just kind of improving diversity around the NFL. The NFL has um, an affinity group called pride um, for out league or for um, LGBTQ employees. They've had a, they've sponsored a pride float in the, in the New York city pride parade, which Mm -hmm. is something that I never thought would happen. And I have a football from that throat. They, they, they throw me off of it. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that was, you know, that was pre COVID. I hopefully that's something that will come back, um, you know, after the pandemic is, is over, but you know, these are things, that you know certainly weren't happening happening before Michael Sam, and this just just goes back to just how important Michael Sam was, and he doesn't get nearly enough credit for for what he did and how he really moved the league forward um, in this regard. Yeah, I mean, I think it is important to keep in mind that while I mean, I, I I've been seeing this conversation play out in the last twenty four hours really about how players, the locker room, as people, honestly, just as younger generations start to take hold, we get more progressive and, and it's, and, and we're just more accepting as a people is, is kind of the hope. Um, the ownership group of the NFL is still, you know, mostly conservative, older white billionaires. Um, how do we kind of reconcile the fact that the league is trying to, you know, portray itself as a an increasingly progressive league. The players that are participating in it both have more of a voice now than they ever have and are more progressive themselves. But the the guys still cutting the checks, you know, still vote a certain way, right? This is for that, anybody who wants to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, does anybody else want to jump in first? Well, I can just say, yeah. just knowing you no know, team owners and being around them, that that is kind of that's going to be something, and I also think it'll connect to the media as well, just because in a lot of ways, 
you do have a lot of younger, more progressive people in the media, but the NFL, and maybe Linda gets speak to this too, more than almost any other sport, has this real old guard in the media that, you know, these older white guys who have been around 25, 30 years who think a certain way. I mean, I've dealt with them, and, you know, when I've covered the league, they think a certain way, and a lot of times it's in line with the owners. So <laughs> when you talk about – you know, how the players are going to be and how younger people are. I still wonder just how the owners and the media are going to treat this. Because I remember with Michael Sam, for some members of the media, it became Michael the gay player Sam Mm -hmm. instead of Michael Sam defensive end for the St. Louis Rams. And I just wonder that, you know, through all the social media posts and everyone saying, you know, congratulations, when we get to September 25th, Will we still, will we treat Carl like the defensive end for the Raiders or will there just kind of be this, like you, like you said, a mascot treatment of him from, from ownership, from the media? You know, say the Raiders, say he and the Raiders don't work out after the season, he's on another team. Will someone sign him just to say they have the gay player? I'm just, I'm just really, I'm really cynical when it comes to how the media as a whole will treat Carl and how teams will treat Carl going forward until I see differently. Yeah, and I really hope that, you know, he doesn't have to become kind of the face of the NFL's LGBT kind of movement. You know, I I don't think he wants that. We shouldn't have to thrust that upon him every time there is an LGBT issue in the country. Carl Nassib shouldn't have to be the face for the NFL and answering all of those questions. I know that was something that a lot of us dealt with last summer um, and still are dealing with, too, when we're talking about social justice and um, the Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, we shouldn't have to, the, the black athletes shouldn't be the only ones who have to speak about racial justice and inequities in our country. And Carl Nassib shouldn't be the only one who has to answer questions now or speak for, for all gay people now in professional sports. Um, and it's our, our job in the media to not make him do that, right? To just let him play football now and just let him live his life the way that he is comfortable living. I mean, he's I, I think Wade said it best before now that this should make him a better player because he is unburdened now mm-hmm. um, that he can, and we shouldn't add no burdens onto him to make him the spokesman now. So you're totally right, Jason, about kind of the the old guard of, of media. I think that exists a lot through sports writing. Um, you know, I hope I'm hopeful that here at The Athletic, we won't be doing that. I will do my best to make sure that our NFL team is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're steering our coverage in a way that, you know, we will have a nuanced look at, at, at this story, but that it isn't the only kind of story. So, you know, I think it's a lot of it is up to us, the questions that we're asking him, um, how private he wants to be, how open he wants to be. You know, I think one of the most amazing parts of his coming out video was how he acknowledged, I think, his own privilege and understanding that he has a ton of support. Um, from his family, from his friends. He feels the support already from his teammates and he wants to kind of give back already. He made that $100,000 donation to the Trevor Project. And so that shows me that he is willing to kind of be out there a little bit, but that um, he also acknowledges that he's a private person. And, you know, I think we should let him have some privacy and kind of just enjoy this time now where he can move forward um, living his authentic life in a way that he hasn't ever been able to do before. 
Well, and he has the right to acknowledge that as someone with a public platform and, you know, the most popular American sport, he's obviously going to be looked up to in a certain way and still want to maintain his level of privacy. And I thought one of, you know, for all the cynical people who tried to downplay how monumentous this was, um, asking why this was such a big deal, you know, Carl in his own video said there are studies that show that just having one adult show support um, it reduces the incidence of suicide among LGBTQ plus youth by 40%. So he's extremely aware of the impact that he can have here without having to be the only spokesperson, as, as we've all said for this. Um, Wade, I'm, I'm, I kind of hate having to ask this question because it's gross. Um, and uh, <laughs> Ask away. Come on, we're family. No, and, and frankly, like, like this is so farther, like football, I think, is just farther down on the priority of this conversation, you know, while maintaining that Carl is a football player first. Um, does it matter that he signed through 2023? Does it matter that he is most likely going to remain an active player, that he has a talent level to not only take this position as the first person to come out, but also that he will contribute in significant ways to a team? Um, it would be hard for me to say. Here's, here's what I will say. When I think of WNBA players, right, who, who took – and who continually take risks, whether it's in Black Lives, Lives Matter, whether it's, it's work around sexism and misogyny, or even it's in the LGBTQ space, right? Like those risks come with um, an absence of a certain type of safety net, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that Carl having a contract um, played a, a role, right? But it definitely makes, it, it can, right? And I'm not saying it's a true for Carl, but it can lessen the fear. Right. That if everything doesn't go as well as one might hope that you have something to fall back on. Right. It's no different from when I told the world I was gay. I did it after I had a partner. Mm. Right. So I had this person. Right. Who I could sit in conversation with. So I didn't feel alone. And sometimes. Right. Having the finances are are a part of, you know, that that level of comfort, you know. The, the work that I would say that the media needs to do is to, is to is to have greater proximity to not just, you know, what it means to be gay, because like there are, you know, to to be white and gay means that you already have a proximity to certain types of power. Right. Mm -hmm. And Carl is a white and a, a male. Right. So he has access to male power and white power. Right. And. And what I would love for the media to get better at is to complicate, like, what did Michael Sam not have, right? Mm -hmm. And how are some of the questions that they might have asked Michael Sam rooted in their own racism, right? In, in their own types, types of classism. The other piece is, how do we have an even more nuanced conversation that gets into the space of how does the sexism that exists in our society, that exists in sports, right, is the foundation that the homophobia that it actually rests on. Like, I'm a believer, and I've said this a thousand times, right, that the root of homophobia is sexism. And when I was an athlete, whether it was high school, college, or the pros, I didn't hear a lot of homophobic language, but what I did hear was a shitload of sexism, right? And sexism, you know, hits off of someone who identifies as LGBT, in my opinion, with the same weight as homophobic language, because what you're trying to, to do is associate folks who identify as gay 
as as women to say that well women are less than and therefore i'm putting you closer to this identity to make you feel less less than also in an attempt to elevate my own uh, absence of 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 something so i would hope that the conversation that comes out of this is much more intersectional is much more about what is the work that heterosexual people need to do to get much more comfortable to see themselves in someone like a Carl Nassif, in someone like a Michael Sam. And you'll see the pieces that are, are written and the conversation being had much more sophisticated, much more nuanced and continues to push the conversation forward, right? And then how do we add what's happening when it comes to some of the trans laws that are, are being passed into this conversation also? Because hopefully the conversation about Carl is an important one but the conversation about the lives of trans folks will also ensure that folks like Carl feel much more safe and welcome too. Right. You and I have had conversations in the past about that, about misogyny being the root of, of homophobia. And it's, it's particularly stark in, in the world of sports and in, in a sport like football, where, you know, at the top of the show, you talked about people conflating being gay with weakness, like physical weakness, um, you know, and not, not, not having strength where you're a professional football player. <laughs> like, I mean, you've kind of already proven yourself on, on that end. Right. Um, but yeah, but this idea that, you know, people, people I think who don't necessarily follow sports very closely in the last couple of days um, and probably out of their own homophobia, not wanting to celebrate somebody for coming out have, have said, you know, this isn't a really big deal. Let's move on. It's a particularly big deal in a sport like football that has for so long kind of professed a very rigid view, right. Of what masculinity is, of who can embody that, um, of what that looks like. And frankly, um, a very, a view, of masculinity that is has also been very divided along racial lines the way that we that we characterize black masculinity is so different than the way that we characterize white masculinity um so i i think it's so interesting that that all of these conversations have to be undercut now but i think what's also interesting about it is you know i think all of us have had conversations about other issues where sports have been kind of the driving factor in the progress and in the change. And it seems like this is one where football was not was behind everyone else, right? Like we as a society, as a country have moved to a more accepting place of LGBTQ plus rights and, and of people and of a more widening view of what masculinity and femininity are supposed to look like except when it comes to sports and particularly football. And this seems like an instance when the NFL has been playing catch up. I would say that any time that we create activities where men and women or folks who identify as male and female aren't allowed to play a sport together, right? Then by, by virtue of that separation, we're automatically trying to say that women can't do something as good as men do, right? And then when you compound that by knowing that we have historically associated a gay men with, with women, that automatically says that this place, right, is, can never be welcoming to individuals who, who I associate with the, with the feminine. What I would say about the NFL, but I would also say that the NFL is just a, a mirror to our larger society. So whether you're talking about in the military, whether you're talking a, a, about in certain industries, right, that are heavily controlled by, by men, right, like 
anytime that men need to have something that is absent of someone else, right, what we're really expressing is something that doesn't exist inside of us. And what the NFL is modeling, right, that we have to do a lot of work talking to our boys, to our sons around, like, what does it mean to be a man, right? And to give up these performances of things like macho and certain types of performances of masculinity that don't actually help boys grow up into be actually the type of, of a man who could see a woman as competition, right? Because I remember like I was never groomed to see women as competition, right? And what does that say about who I think that women are, right? That they're never my even because if I don't think that I have to compete with, with you, that is a, a, an expression of, of how I value you, right? And if gay men aren't perceived to be able to compete with, with straight men, right? It's again, it's, it's a signal for how I value you. The other thing that I would say is that the NFL is just a reflection of the power brokers that control it. So when you talk about owners, right? And, and to complicate the conversation, I know of some owners who, who, who actually have gay children, right? Who are trying to figure out like, how do I push? How do I pull? How do I get the NFL out of the stone age to, in, to ensure that this new fan base who has different expectations, right? Not just around race and gender, but, but sexual orientation, see the league as a evolving league so that they can actually figure out ways to in, engage with it. So as, as long as any sports league, um, is not into the 21st century, you will have real trouble trying to attract new fans with new expectations of how the league is comporting its, itself in public, but also in, in private. Yeah, Lindsay, along, along those lines, you know, my kind of sports business background is, is always going to come out in asking the very cynical question, which is the NFL has clearly evolved, um, you know, the, the league and, and at least front-facingly some of the owners have um, in order to be able to support someone like Carl. How much of that is acknowledging how much money gay consumers have, gay sports fans have, um, and, and that it's just not good business practices anymore to openly ignore and offend an entire segment of the populace that happens to be high earning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that in there. And it's fair to be cynical about these things. You know, I've been very cynical for a lot of years about um, the way that the NFL markets to women, um, understanding the the purchasing power that that women have and the number of women who you know control their family's finances and then do actually want to watch football. And so yeah, I mean, I think I think we have to think about some of these these business motives um, whenever we're talking about you know activism within the NFL and you know the different months and and, and all of those you know the, those sorts of things. I think it's fair to do that. I do think there there are people who have really good intentions though, but yeah, you always kind of have to to know that this is ultimately a, a billion dollar enterprise and you know. But it wasn't that long ago that I think there probably were a lot of people within pro sports and certainly with the NFL who would have thought that having any sort of association with LGBT community would mean losing money. And we wouldn't be talking about um, potentially it being a money-making proposition. So maybe that's a sign of progress. I mean, I, I think that's, that's true. I happen to fall on the, you know, if you're doing the right thing, I kind of don't care if you're making money off of it <laughs> side of things. The actual consequence here is that a bunch of kids around the, around the country who want to play football or want to play other sports will be more comfortable being themselves because whether or not it's making the NFL money, because 
Carl Nassib was able to come out. Um, Jason, somebody who covers the NBA now, do you see this spreading to other sports? Do you see conversations in other locker rooms, um, you know, going along the same way saying, you know, hey, a guy like Carl Nassib can come out. We're going to probably see this whole wave. Let's just let's just be more open about who we are um, in the world of sports. I think we're headed that way just because the play, you know, you see the teams have a pride night. And I mean, I can think of a time where players would have been like, we're doing what, you know, and at the very least people aren't being as vocally against it. Like I said, 15, when I got into the business 15, 20 years ago, these are conversations that you never could have had, you know, <laughs> you know, especially on the, you know, on the record, off the record, it just would have not gone well. And even if you look at uh, Reggie Bullock and his story, and, you know, you know, having someone trans in his family and that, that just, you know, what he went through with his uh, with his family, mm-hmm. the fact that Reggie could speak on that so publicly. You know, nowadays, to me, they sign that we're going in a different direction where people are aren't going to be the same way they were in the past. I'm still cynical. That's just the way I am to, as to how how things will eventually go. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when, um, no, when Jason Collins did come out, Mark Jackson, you know, his response was, I'll pray for him, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, more rooted in a re- rooted in religion. You no, know, obviously. But I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God, how tone deaf can you be? You're coaching in the Bay area. <laughs> and I just said, I said, Oh, I said, I said, he, I said, he's done. You know, and not just because of what was going on with the team. It was just the idea that you still had this mindset of where there's so much support coming out. You're, but you're still kind of in this other mindset of there's something wrong with him. So I'm not going to say anything bad about him, by, but your statement says I'm saying something's wrong with you. So I do well, think. Godless. Like the, the direct implication of that is because he's gay, he must be godless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I think like I say, I mean, you have Reggie Bullock and. You have, you know, what he went through, I believe it was his, I'm blanking on it right now, I'm trying to look it up, I believe it was his sister who was trans, and him sharing his story and how that changed the way he viewed things, I think, you know, as he's gotten support, and as you see other players, you know, at this point, it's 2021, we all have, you know, gay family members, gay friends, it's, it's it, this shouldn't be a thing where people are saying, oh my God, you know, I don't know anyone who's gay, and I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and, 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 you know, and I still you know being in the sports world, it's still in a lot of times a very misogynistic world. And I think what Wade said is true. A lot of this is rooted in misogyny because the way these players, some of the, some of the players, owners, media, a lot of people talk about gay people, hear them talk about women the same way. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, and it's all about this idea that I'm going to feel strong. And kind of the, the one of the funnier or not ironic things to me that a lot of the NFL players that have come out have been linemen. And, <laughs> you know, look, 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 Ezra Tuala back in the day when he came, you know, he came out, you know, played defensive, you know, defensive tackle, one of the hardest positions you can play in the NFL. So I think maybe we're slowly getting past this whole, you know, tired stereotype that gay equals weak and, you know, and then, and then maybe we can, or that maybe that it's okay to be gay in the WNBA, but we don't do this in this on in this sport. So I mean, there's a, there's to me there's still a lot of barriers to break, 
I mean, I think the WNBA has made a lot of strides. I even covered the league, WNBA. When I covered the WNBA, I had people in the NFL who knew me said, oh, I'm sorry, you got to cover the gay league. Because mm-hmm. it was known as the league where, you know, that's, okay, if you want to be gay, you can go watch the WNBA because they're okay with that. So I think we're moving in a different direction. I still, you know, want to see more, you know, just more you know, pro- progression amongst, you know, players, teams, the leagues. No, like I said, even the media, because I think the media, you know, a lot of us who are reporting the story still have our own issues, our own biases, our own thoughts about this that we may not report, but it definitely comes across in the reporting. Like I said, when you're treating Michael Sam, where you just can't, you can't write about him without referring to the fact that he was, that he's gay when he was, you know, trying to make the Rams or how, how we, how they, will they treat Carl, you know, coming up, you know, we'll be back, reports will be back in the locker room, you know. So there's a lot to see, but I do believe that things are progressing in a different direction. I'm just always going to be more of the let's wait and see type. You know, I think that a lot of the negative reaction that we will see will come from, you know, from fans. And, you know, I've been tweeting about this for the last 24 hours and, you know, there's some really ugliness that goes on online from fan bases. We've heard it for years about, you know, I don't want to watch the NFL anymore. I don't want politics and sports and keep, you know, all of that stuff. So let this be a challenge to, to fans to look at, look at these athletes, look at Carl Nassib as a human, um, think about who he is as a person. You know, I, I, that I think is going to be kind of slow to cut. There are going to be some really nasty fans and he's going to face some awful stuff. I think once he's back on the field, um, and that needs to be a challenge to the Raiders, to the rest of the league, to kind of protect him from some of that, that, that ugliness that is going to come, you know, I'm sure Michael Sam had to deal with a lot of that when he was playing in preseason games for the Rams, unfairly so. Um, you know, I, I wish that we were better as a society. You know, I, you know, it's easy for me to sit there and just block, you know, on social media, the people who are you know, using a lot of homophobic language, um, it'll be a little bit harder for him kind of when he's on the field, uh, you know, in his first game this fall with the Raiders. Um, but so, yeah, I just, I hope that as a society, we become better because it's, it's going to take a while, but this was a momentous moment for the NFL. And I, hopefully it's just going to continue progressing into a positive direction. Um, and it's, it's just going to be hard, but it, it, it has been somewhat encouraging as I've kind of gone around in circles here. Yeah. Maybe it's just me, but isn't the same crowd who didn't want to watch because of Catelyn Kaepernick who didn't want to watch because, I mean, are are these the same people who keep watching? I mean, they're tweeting at me as well. Either why do we care or well now I have to stop watching. It's like, well, you've threatened to stop watching NFL because of Colin Kaepernick. You threatened to stop watching the NBA because of black lives matter protesting um, messaging on jerseys. Um, You've threatened now you're going to stop watching the NFL because of, of Carl Nassib. I haven't actually seen a ratings dip that can be attributed to any of these threats. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see, but also it seems like, you know, fa- like those, those fans still exist and that is absolutely something that Carl is going to need support and protection from. They seem to be getting fewer and further between. I think I have to believe that, or at least they're getting, um, 
I think there are enough of the rest of us that we can shame them out of being able to um, kind of be I as important. I feel like they're the same person. Like it's the same person. <laughs> well, and, and there is a there is a commonality there where fans just in general feel extremely entitled to be able to say whatever they want to a player to do whatever they want. We saw. I mean, we saw we saw fans at my beloved Madison Square Garden literally spit on Trey Young. You know, um, so so the way that fans treat players um, is is not necessarily getting better. Um, but, you know, to Jason's point about Mark Jackson's comments after Jason Collins came out, it was six or seven years ago when Tony Dungy, kind of the elder statesman moral center of this league, was very openly homophobic, very anti-marriage equality, um, you know, labeling uh, Michael Sam outright a distraction. Um I guess my last question, Wade, you know, to kind of wrap up everything that we've talked about and some of the concerns that I think we can rightfully have, um, given that not everybody is um, is accepting even in 2021. If you were still consulting with the NFL, what advice would you give the league going forward in how they how they handle Carl, how they handle um, the reaction to him, how they handle, you know, what might be certain higher profile fans or investors or friends of owners who might not be um, the most progressive um, and, and how they without, as I, as I have said before, without turning him into a mascot. The first thing I would say is that Carl's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Carl's already done the hardest thing in the world, which is to love himself. That is, that is no other thing that is harder to actually do for a, a human being is to get to a place where they can love themselves. So don't worry about call. The work is actually for heterosexual people, specifically heterosexual men, to talk about Carl, to talk about Michael Sam in a way that, that says, here's what I learned about myself. Here's what I learned about manhood. Here's what I learned about masculinity from Carl's example. Right. Because now what you start to do is to show that Carl is not just a model for LGBTQ folks, but for heterosexual people. Right. Can you get owners, coaches, players to talk about how they are now a better person because of what Carl did and not because Carl is gay. Right. Like that is one part of Carl's identity, but because of what it means for someone to to stand in their truth, to be able to. To, to work through all of, the, all of the pain, all of the trauma that the world enacts on you when you actually proclaim that you love yourself, right? If heterosexual people can get to that space, if, if writers can talk about what they learned about themselves, right? How they're going to write better because of Michael Sam, because of Carl, then you will see fans go, oh, wait a minute. There's something that I can learn about manhood from someone who identifies as LGBT, there's someone that I can learn ab- about myself. Because when, when you have fans watch the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryants, what they often say is like what they learned from this players, that, that they're heroes, that they modeled something, right? We need those same, we need a LeBron James to come out and, and say what he learned about being a better father mm-hmm. from what Carl did. Right. Like that starts to have a much different nuanced conversation that cracks open the ambulant of a patriarchy that sits right on top of our society that says that a, that a Carl Nassib, that a um, that some of the, the WNBA players, right, aren't human beings and aren't worthy of of being um, of being thought of as heroes and sheroes. 
Well, on that note, Wade, Wade Davis, thank you so much for, for joining us. Really appreciated your insight. Like I said, you were the first person I wanted to talk to when I saw the news yesterday. Um, happy Pride. Uh, and I hope that you and your loved ones can, can celebrate accordingly safely um, as we're still recovering from this pandemic. Um, thank you. It's so wonderful to sit in conversation. It's nice to see you again, Lindsay, and to meet you, Jason. Go Raiders! Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to Wade Davis, Lindsay Jones, Jason Jones. Uh, this was Culture Calculus. Uh, please like and subscribe, uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And we'll see you next week. Happy Pride. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.